Well, let, let me let you in on something I've learned about myself uh, this year. Uh, something I, I've reflected on and struggled with uh, since the beginning of the year, really. And, and it's this. I found that I'm not a particularly joyful Christian. Uh, I found that I wasn't a particularly thankful Christian. And yet, as I read the Bible more, uh, I see that that's not right. And no, God desires that I should be thankful, that I should be joyful. Now think a moment with some of these verses. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, says Paul on a number of occasions, full of thanks and praise. Now the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Now ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks, again says Paul. And he also says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And yet I find that I'm not particularly thankful. I'm not particularly joyful. Paul was thankful. Paul was joyful. You see it throughout his letters that he writes. And yet I'm not. And as I thought about that and reflected on that. I seem to, it comes to me that I'm sure I'm not the only person that, if they're honest with themselves, feels like that. Now, are you joyful? Are you thankful? Now, we might be joyful and thankful in different situations, uh, joyful playing sport or being with family or getting good grades, but are we joyful and thankful about the gospel, about what God's doing in the world and has done in the world? Now you could say, well, we're just British and so we don't uh, show our joyfulness out uh, to others. It's, it's very deep inside though, and very joyful inside. But don't fool yourselves by saying that. Be honest with yourself. Are you joyful? You just remember your heart is deceitful above all things. Examine your heart honestly. Are you joyful? Are you thankful? Are you joyful and thankful about the gospel? Are you joyful about Christian things? You see, lack of joyfulness, my lack of joyfulness, is a spiritual problem. And if you're not joyful, it's a spiritual problem. Now hear me, hear me rightly there when I say that. I'm not trying to be down on you or, or me for that matter. Now the Bible always confronts us with with the, our sinfulness and the ways which we need to change and it, it enables us to change and to be more like God and to be conformed to Him. It should be expected that that's what the Bible does. It should bring us things in which our lives are not right and where we need to change. You see, the Christian life is one of constant change and growth and understanding and lifestyle. Well, that, the reason we're looking at Colossians this term is for that reason. Uh, what will make us more thankful and more joyful? Well, I think understanding uh, the, the truths that the, Colossian, the letter to the Colossians brings to us will help us to be more thankful. Now, in many ways, the, uh, the summary statement of the book is found in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. You see what it says there? So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue in him, rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And this is the bit that gets me. And overflowing with thankfulness. You see, understanding the gospel means that you will overflow with thankfulness. 
And so I hope that this understanding this book, this, this letter to the Colossians, will help us to overflow with thankfulness, to become joyful as we actually understand the gospel which it lays before us again and again. Well, in your groups, as we come to this section of verses 9 to 14, there's a, a couple of questions uh, before we get into the actual prayer itself. Description. You, you see what this, this is what it's here for. It's not just, this uh, prayer here is not just here for some kind of historical interest. This is what Paul prayed for some Christians um, at some point in history. Uh, no, it's, it's here to teach us. And I think what it's here to teach us about is, it teaches what we can pray. So it gives us a model for prayer. And when you don't know what to pray for somebody, maybe a missionary or a friend or a Christian friend from home or a Christian friend at uni or somebody at church that you don't really know, well, here's a model of something that you can pray for them. But also it's more than just teaching us how to pray or what to pray. It actually teaches us what we should long for as Christians. Now, the prayer is what Paul prayed for a group of Christians. It's what he longed for them. He asked God for so that they would understand that this is what is required in the Christian life. And of what they should, uh, should shape what they long for and what we should long for. It helps us to understand the things of God better. You know, I'm sure you wish for many uh, different things in life. You know, there are ways in which you're not uh, satisfied or happy with your life. You wish they, were dis- you wish they were different. Well, as Christians, this passage here will help us to understand what we should long for as Christians. How we should be seeking to grow as Christians. You see, what we, what we shouldn't do as Christians is try to conform what God wants into what we want. So, you know, so we decide what we want and then try and twist God into that. You no, know, it should be the other way around. God should conform us to his will. And this is kind of part of what's going on here in this prayer. Well, in this uh, prayer, Paul makes one request. And you see it in verse 9. He asks God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. <coughs> so you see it in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He is asking God to fill them with a knowledge of his will. That's the fundamental request that goes through this section. He prays that they would be filled with a knowledge of God's will. And that's why he prays arising from his thankfulness to God. And so the question we should ask as we, as we read that, we see what Paul prays, is what is a knowledge of his will, a knowledge of God's will? Now you'll often hear people speaking about uh, what's God's will for my life. And when they, generally when they're saying that, they're thinking about uh, what job should I take or uh, who should I live with, who should I marry. Big, kind of life-changing decisions almost. Uh, seeking God's will. Now, it's right to pray and ask for wisdom in those types of situations. But that's not what's meant here. It's not meaning that we need to try and search for some uh, will of God that's out there somewhere. No, it's not that. It's asking to God to help us understand what's already known about him. 
what he's already shown us. It's not trying to seek for knowledge which is not known. It's asking him to understand what's already there. Understand what God has already said and revealed about himself. For example, in Psalm 143, the psalmist says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your your good spirit lead me on level ground. Teach me to do your will. He's asking God to teach him to do the will of God, which is already revealed for us in Scripture. He assumes that it's already known. It's there for us. You see, the Bible teaches us how to live. It teaches us what God's will for our lives are. Now, we might need wisdom and understanding how to apply that to life, but God has already revealed what his will for us is. You know, in some situations it's very clear that we, that we shouldn't do that. Now, if you're thinking as you walk along the street, I wonder if it's God's will if I should steal that car or not. Well, quite clearly, no, you don't steal. So that's quite clear what God's will for you is in that situation. Other situations might be less black and white. We need more wisdom about what to do. Who should I marry? If you've got a choice, most of you won't. If you do get a choice. What job should I take? Again, if you get a choice, you're doing well. But it's those kind of things. It's not that there's some knowledge that you need to find out that's not revealed for us. It's trying to apply God's wisdom, which he's shown us, his will is in the Bible, to that particular situation. Which is why Paul prays that you might know his will. That you might understand what God wants from us in different situations. But there's something even bigger there in that knowledge of his will. You see, it's something that goes beyond just our everyday lives. It includes that. You see, the will of God is not limited to what you're going to do in a particular given moment. There's a bigger story going on. You see, it's understanding God's great purpose for the whole world, both in the past and now and in the future. It's what God is doing on earth. It's what Paul has given thanks about already in the, in the beginning of the letter. You see, he was full of thanks that the Colossians had heard the word of truth from Epaphras in verse 7. This word of truth, the gospel, is the gospel that was bearing fruit all over the world as God's purpose and plan was going forward. And the great gospel of God that came to these Colossian believers as they heard and accepted that word of truth, as they had a hope of heaven, as they were loving their brothers and sisters, as they had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the will of God was being done in these Colossian believers. You see, the gospel is the will of God. It's what God is doing in the world. It's what God has always been doing in the world and what he always will be doing. It's bringing everything together under Christ. You see, right from creation, remember last year, for those of you here, when we, when we did uh, uh, Genesis, it was talking about a God wanting to spread blessing and life in the world. Be fruitful and multiply. And, and after the fall, it doesn't, God doesn't stop working in the world. He still wants to spread blessing and life among the world. Indeed, he makes promises to Abraham. He tells him that there will be a son who will be born, who will be the one through whom blessing and life comes. He made promises to David to say there will be an heir on your throne who will live forever, who will spread blessing in life. And that's what's happened through Christ. Through the word of the gospel. And the word that came and transformed these Colossian believers. 
The gospel is the great will of God. It teaches about the world and about ourselves. And Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Understand more deeply what's happened to them. A knowledge which would come, in verse 9, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, Paul prays that there would be a growing understanding of what's happened in them and what's happening all over the world as that gospel bears fruit. You see, the gospel has been bearing fruit and growing right since the day of these Colossians, right up until now, and is growing among you here today. The gospel is growing and bearing fruit. And I wonder if you understand the significance of what has happened to you as you believe the gospel. That you have been caught up in the will of God for the whole world. The plan that he's had since before all time began. Well, Paul prays that the Colossians would believe and understand more of that reality of what's happened to them. And the the prayer would still stand if he came to pray for you, that you would understand more deeply what's going on in your life, what's happened to you as the gospel came to you. So Paul prays that you would have a knowledge of his will, of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And what's the purpose of that? Why does Paul want you to gain that knowledge? We see there's a statement of purpose and it's that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way. The reason Paul wants him to be filled with the knowledge is quite startling, really. Verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Now I find that quite extraordinary. Paul prays that you would understand God's will in the world so that you might live a worthy life. So that you might please God in every way. So that you would be fully pleasing to God. And I wonder, do you think of yourself being pleasing to God? Now, I'm sure that you felt uh, pleasure before uh, uh, being praised for something. And I can remember at uni getting a good mark uh, for a piece of work. It didn't happen very often. And getting the, the good mark meant that I'd done well. I'd met the brief. And it made me smile. I was pleased. I, I, I was pleased that somebody thought I'd done a good job. You might have that same sense of satisfaction and joy in sport or music or from your parents or employers when you were pleasing. Well, Paul prays that we would be fully pleasing to God. And I think that's quite startling. That you here, who've been caught up in this great movement of God's will in the world, might live a life which is pleasing to him. Well, the Colossians were beginning to live this life. You remember in verse 4 that Paul had heard of their faith and the love that they had for the saints. And Paul gave thanks for that. And he prays that they would understand God's will to a greater degree so that they might live the life that's worthy even more. That God's will would shape them and change them and conform them to his will being transformed by a renewing of our minds. You see, the knowledge of God's will is not just some kind of head knowledge. 
The knowledge of God's will will transform how you live in the world. It will mean that you live a worthy life, a fully pleasing life. Well then, in the remainder of these verses, there's a description of what that will look like in every every day life. How it will work out for us. You see, the Christian who is filled with the knowledge of God's will, living a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing in Him in every way, will one, be bearing fruit in every good work, two, growing in a knowledge of God, three, being strengthened with all power, and four, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Well, let's look at each of those in turn. First, they'll be bearing fruit in every good work. You see it halfway through verse 10, at the end of verse 10. And may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. The Paul prays that they would be bearing fruit in every good work. The Paul often talks of good works that God has prepared for us, God has prepared in advance. The gospel is supposed to issue in good works. And that we're meant to be doing good. They were meant to be bearing fruit. And notice again the connection with verse 6. The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. And Paul prays that for each of these individual uh, Colossian believers that the gospel would be bearing fruit in good works in their lives. That we should be having good works. That we should be bearing fruit. That your life is meant to be continually transformed by the gospel. And as it is, you will bear good fruit in every good work. You see, you live for God wherever you are. And the knowledge of God that is in you will produce good works. So if you're a history student, knowledge of God's will will help you to live and bear fruit as a history student. As an architecture student, the knowledge of God's will will help you to bear fruit in every good work. As a medic, the knowledge of God will help you to bear fruit in every good work. As a musician, the knowledge of God will help you to bear fruit in every good work. You see, it's not that each vocation needs to be redeemed by us. No, we are to live in each situation as a disciple of the Lord Jesus, filled with a knowledge of his will and bearing fruit in that situation. And the knowledge of God will help us to understand how we should bear fruit in those situations. Before we move on to the next, let me just ask you, what situations do you put yourself in where there is no possibility you could bear good fruit? Where there's no possibility of doing good work? You see, you're to bear fruit in good works other places and situations that you put yourself in, times, things you do, where there's no possibility that you could be bearing fruit in good works. Where your mind is filled with things other than God's will. I'm just going to pause for a minute and let you ponder that. Maybe write down something where you think, that is a situation where I could never bear good fruit. Something where I need to change. Let me give you a few seconds to do that.
or living a life worthy of the Lord will be seen in bearing fruit in every good work but secondly it will be seen in a growing knowledge of God now you might say that's a little bit circular and it's exactly that you see as you understand what God is like and what God's will in the world is as you bear fruit in every good work you grow in the knowledge of God now somebody just like my, my newest hobby uh, I've been uh, reading up on how to make sausages for a while now uh, and I've read a, a book about how you, how you do it and on Friday I had my first sausage making session and in making those sausages I learned things I'd never ever picked up from the book it's not that they weren't there in the book it's just that the, what was there was, was clarified in my thinking I could, I could understand what, what it meant when you were getting the, the meat into the sausage skin and how you twisted them up and made them into links. I understood with a greater clarity what the book had said, because I'd experienced doing it. We see, as we understand the gospel with greater clarity, as we bear fruit in every good work, we understand with greater clarity, that's what God wants for me in this situation. That's how I should live. And living that way is great. You see, it transforms your knowledge of God into practical knowledge. You see, the knowledge of God is never meant to just be theoretical knowledge. Yes, we need to study hard and understand and use our mind, but that is meant to uh, be shown in what we do. And when understanding and doing it, then it shapes and helps us to understand with greater clarity what God is doing. You see, a transformed life cannot help but grow in the knowledge of God. And as you grow in the knowledge of God's will, living a life worthy and pleasing him in every way, you will also be strengthened, thirdly. You see, you're, you, you, you'll be bearing fruit in every good work, you'll be growing in the knowledge of God, and thirdly, you'll be strengthened. You see, in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, you see, as you bear fruit and grow in the knowledge of God, you are also strengthened with all power. Now, that's quite staggering that you and your little life here in Sheffield are being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, according to God's glorious might. You see, you might feel small and, and insignificant, but you're being strengthened with all power. That's what Paul prays for. You see, the source of that power is God's glorious might. According to God's glorious might. This is how one writer says, he says, I'm praying, says Paul, that you will be so filled with the knowledge of God's will that the might of the glory of the Lord will fully empower you. Is that not an extraordinary thing to pray? Get your head around it, praying that you might be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. That each of you here, each of these Colossian believers in this little backwater, might be strengthened in that way. Well, if that is extraordinary, and I think it is, I think what the power is for is even more extraordinary. Extraordinary because it's not what we think of when we think of spiritual power, of God's glorious might. You see what Paul says? He asks that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that, notice that connection, so that 
you may have great endurance and patience. Great endurance and patience. That's quite extraordinary, is it not? Do you not think? It's not how we often think about spiritual power, endurance and patience. You see, you know the will of God and you will be strengthened to live a life worthy of the Lord so that you might have endurance and patience. So that we can trust God in everything. Endurance when situations are hopeless. Patience with Christians who never seem to grow. Patience with Christians who actually never seem to be bearing fruit. They would have great endurance and patience in their hope as they wait for Christ to return. You see, great endurance and patience is not an easy thing to do in this world and we need the power of God to help us to keep trusting Him by enduring and being patient with everybody and everything. Well, the fourth thing that is seen in a person who's living a worthy life of the Lord, it brings us full circle to where we began. Paul prays at the, the, the end of verse 11 and into 12 that they would be joyfully giving thanks to the Father. That they would with joy give thanks to the Father. If endurance and patience may seem mundane, then that endurance and patience is filled with thankfulness and joy. Joyfully give thanks to God. You see, God has enabled these Colossian believers to participate in the, uh, the growing movement of the gospel in the world. That they might be bearing fruit in the world. And the gospel, he says, when understood... As you understand God's will, will bring joy and thanks. Joyfully giving thanks. You know, it's not like uh, children. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever told children to do this. You say, uh, say thank you. And you know, they've been given something. You say thank you. And they go, thank you. Um, you, know, you can tell that they're just filled with joy at that moment. Thank you. And they kind of grunt and look at them through gritted teeth. Now that's not the, that's not the thanks we're to give to God. It's not some kind of grudging thanks. No, it's joyfully giving thanks. As you understand the gospel, as you understand God's will in the world, you will be able to joyfully give thanks to the Father. You see how it's come full circle? The Paul, Paul was joyfully giving thanks to the Father for the gospel's progress into Colossae and the lives of these believers. And so he prays for them. Prays that they would understand much more of what has happened to them so that they might join him in giving thanks to the Father for each other for what's happened in themselves for others that they may never have met you see surely as they understood what was going on understood the significance of the gospel's work in their lives then they would want to be joining and giving thanks for each other you see the gospel will help us to understand what is happening to us and others and that should bring us great joy and should cause us to give thanks to God. But Paul doesn't quite finish there. You see he goes on. So he wants them to give thanks to the Father and he can't, just, he can't stop himself and he has to expand on this gospel a little bit more in particular on the Father. On the, giving thanks to the Father who has 
qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. They're to give thanks to the Father, the Father who has qualified them and given them a share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You see, you here today, you Christian, have been qualified and given a share of an inheritance. You've been given that. You've been qualified in that. For the Jewish person hearing that, the concept of inheritance wasn't something new. God had always promised them an inheritance. The, the land was the particular uh, physical place where that inheritance was seen. The land of Canaan. And it was their inheritance because they were Jewish. They were the people that God had chosen. And it's a land which was described as flowing with milk and honey. And yet that inheritance now is taken and, and made bigger. It's now the inheritance of the saints. In the kingdom of light, it's the saints' inheritance in heaven. And you have been qualified and given an inheritance in heaven by this Father that you pray to. The Father that you joyfully give thanks to. You see, he has, in verse 13, transferred you from one kingdom to another. You see verse 13? For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, he's moved us from the, the dominion of darkness and places into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. The kingdom of the Son who he loves. The Son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. It's the very heart of our faith, is it not? The forgiveness of sins have been transferred and put into this new kingdom. Paul wants you to understand that more. But how could that have happened? How could these Colossian believers, these Gentile believers, those who have had no share in the things of God up until this point, can give thanks to the Father, and calling him Father in itself is something extraordinary. How can they have an inheritance? How could they have been transferred from one kingdom to another? How could they have redemption, the forgiveness of sins? How can you have those things? How can you have a share in an inheritance? How can you have been transferred from one kingdom to another? How could you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in Christ? Well, to understand that, we'll need to come back next week and see what Paul goes on to say in verses 15 to 20. But there's a couple of questions for you to discuss in your groups and then some time to spend praying.